Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as together we meditate on your word for us. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I said at the beginning, we've been looking at these things we call theophanies, uh, these appearances of Jesus in one form or another in the Old Testament. And this week, well, we just heard this reading from 1 Corinthians 10, which is the text for the message today. And, uh, and Paul is talking about that time when God led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and led them through the wilderness. And he says, I, I want you to remember, you know, what, what happened that as, as those people followed Moses. He says they were under the same cloud. Do you remember what that's talking about? Remember how the children of Israel were led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. So he's referring to that. And then he says they were all under the cloud and they all went through the sea. What's that referring to? The Red Sea, when he rescued them from Pharaoh's army uh, by parting the waters of the Red Sea and they were able to walk through it. It says they all ate the same spiritual food. What's that? Manna. Manna, by the way, do you know what manna means? Manna literally means what is it, all right? Because they got up in the morning, they came out of their tents, there was the manna, and they went, what is it? So that's what they called it, what is it, all right? All right, yeah. Uh, but, then he, but then he says this, he says, and they drank the same spiritual drink and he's referring to that story we heard read also earlier from the book of Exodus. And, uh, and he's talking about how, remember, how Moses struck that rock uh, and water came pouring out. And by the way, then the rabbinical tradition teaches that that rock then kind of rolled along and followed them all the way through the wilderness. So whenever they went, that rock was there continuing to provide water for them. They didn't need to find an oasis. The rock was always there for them. And that's what the rabbinical tradition teaches. And Paul seems to confirm that because he says they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. And and then Paul throws in this little line that you would miss if you weren't careful. He goes, oh, and by the way, that was Jesus. And then he goes right on. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of confusing, isn't it? That, that Paul just kind of offhandedly goes, oh, yeah, that rock, yeah, that, that was Jesus. And, and then he goes right on with something else. What in the world is Paul talking about there? You know, why is he telling us that one of the appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament is literally a rock? Well, to figure this out, we have to do a little biblical heavy lifting this morning, okay? Not the fake heavy lifting I did at the beginning of the service with, uh, with the rock. No, literally, we gotta do a little biblical heavy lifting. So kind of put your seatbelt on because we're gonna fly around in the Bible a little bit here and, and take a look uh, so that we have the context to understand what Paul was talking about. And it starts all the way back in the beginning in the book of Genesis, because we're told that, uh, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, even though God created this universe by simply speaking everything into existence, the, the word speaks, Jesus, literally the power of creation. God says, let there be light, and there was. Uh, God says, let the land bring forth plants and animals, and it does. With, there's one exception in creation to God simply speaking and creating something, and that's when he created human beings. We're told that he, he forms dust from the ground and he makes a man from it, then he breathes life into that man and the man comes to life. But then here's the part I want you to take notice of. He says very clearly that God was gonna provide everything that man needed to live, it was just there for them. There's this place called the Garden of Eden. And there in Eden, 
Adam and Eve, those first human beings, have everything they need. There's a listing. He says God caused every beautiful tree and every tree that was good for food to grow out of the ground. And it's connected with this river that flows through Eden that waters the garden. And literally that river is seen in the, in the original language there as the source of that life and provision for God's people there in the garden. Literally, if it hadn't been for sin, it, food was just there. God was just providing, and you just, you just ate. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to work hard. You didn't have to do the dishes afterwards. It was just there, right? But there was a problem. Adam and Eve sinned. And as part of that result of their sin, we often call it a curse of, of sin, but, but literally God isn't cursing them. What God is doing is literally he's telling them, here's what's going to happen now as a result of your sin. These are the consequences of your actions. And one of those consequences is God says to Adam, I put a curse on the ground and you will have to work very hard for your food. In pain you will eat it's food all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and weeds for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will sweat and work hard for your food. In other words, one of the, one of the problems as a result of their sin now is it's not going to be so easy to eat. It's not going to be so easy to receive that provision from God. But there is going to come a day, God promised, when he was going to fix that. And the prophet Ezekiel wrote about that day. And this is, this is a reading we didn't do just a few minutes ago in the service. So take a look at it. Ezekiel describes this day that's going to happen in the future. And, and Ezekiel has this vision from God. And this man leads him to the door of the temple. And he sees water coming out from under the doorway of the temple and flowing east. And the water flowed down from the south side of the wall of the temple and then south of the altar. The man brought me out through the outer north gate and led me around to the outside to the outer east gate, and he says, I found the water coming out of the south side of the east gate. Let me kind of give you this vision that he's describing, because the vision goes on, and it says, this is the temple mound, okay, and, and you can see uh, coming down the right side there, the Kidron Valley, and that Kidron Valley goes all the way down, if you followed it, anybody know? To the Dead Sea, okay, the, the, that, that lowest place on earth where, where there is no life in the water because of all the minerals that collect there, and, uh, and it goes all the way to the Dead Sea, and, and it's just a dry, barren desert, but Ezekiel describes this day that, by the way, the little pink rectangle up there, that's the temple, he describes this day, he says, where water is going to flow out from the temple down to the south end of the Temple Mound, down the south temple steps, into the Kidron Valley, all the way to the Dead Sea, and he says, he says, when that day happens, everywhere the water goes, new life is going to spring up. And the Dead Sea is going to come alive, and there's going to be more fish than you can count. And, and all along the banks of this new, this new river that's been created is going to be food for the nations. In other words, he's describing a future day where God is going to reverse the curse of sin, the, the result of sin. And of course, we heard about that in Revelation too, didn't we? Just as Ezekiel got that vision, the Apostle John also got that vision, this vision of a, a, a water, a river of water of life, like shining crystal flowing from the throne of God. And then it says, the tree of life was on each side of the river. It produces food, fruit 12 times a year, once each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There's this beautiful picture of God restoring his creation. So, so let's just review where we're at so far. 
in the very beginning, God creates this Eden, this incredible creation in which his people can live, and the symbol of his provision in life is this river flowing right through the garden. Because of sin, we live in a desert now. We live in a place where it is difficult to receive that provision that God would provide because our sin gets in the way of God providing all the wealth he would want to provide for us. And in the end, though, there's this promise that in heaven that will all be restored. In the new heavens and the new earth, God will provide all that we we need. It It will be there for us. That's this vision. Now, in the Old Testament, they had a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was seven days long, and it was near the end of September, beginning of October, um, kind of a, a little bit analogous to our Thanksgiving, kind of a harvest festival. But, but the Feast of Tabernacles for the Jews in Jesus' day was a time when they looked back and when they looked forward. They looked back to when God had provided for his people, not only in the Garden of Eden, but when he had provided for them through the wilderness, as they were led from slavery into the promised land, and they looked forward to that day when God was going to restore his creation like we just heard read about in Ezekiel and in Revelation. And, uh, and so they looked back at the story that we read earlier from Exodus chapter 17. This idea that as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, now they have to wander through the desert, and they end up, remember, wandering through that desert for 40 years, that God provided for them. And in, in, uh, in Exodus, this story that we looked at today, it focuses on how God provided this water for them. Uh, water is the, the, the essential thing for life, right? You can go weeks without food, but you can only go a short period of time without water. And, and so God provided that water from them um, out of this rock that Moses would strike with the staff. God wanted them to see clearly that he was the one providing for them. Now, at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would celebrate this. And and I wanna tell you about what they would do. And the last day of the feast, they would have this parade. And uh, it it would start at what was the Pool of Siloam. Now, it's a little hard to see on the screen there, but I put a little blue circle over it. That's the Pool of Siloam, down south from the Temple Mound. And what would happen is the priests would come down from the temple and they would start at the Pool of Siloam and they would fill these these ewers, these jugs full of water from the Pool of Siloam. And then they would process this parade all the way up to the temple area, to those south temple steps. And we're told in rabbinical writings that the people would line the street where the priests were going to process. And now, by the way, this is the, also the end of the dry season in Israel. It hasn't rained maybe for five or six months there. And, uh, and, and so they would, they would walk along these dry, dusty streets, no rain for months and months. But the people would, would hold these branches that they had these seed pods in, uh, and, and the, they were nice and dry too. So when they would shake the branches, you know what it sounded like? It sounded like rain. It sounded like Imagine hundreds and hundreds of people all shaking those branches. It sounded like a rainstorm as the priests would carry these ewers of water and they would recite some of the psalms of praise, Psalm 113, Psalm 118, and, uh, and they would carry these all the way up to the South Temple Steps. And then they would stand on the South Temple Steps 
And one of the priests would read that reading we just heard from Ezekiel about how the water was going to flow out of the temple into the Kidron Valley all the way to the Dead Sea and bring new life. And the priest would take that pitcher of water and pour it out on the steps as that reading from Ezekiel was read. And they would all celebrate that God had provided for them when they wandered through the wilderness through that rock. And God was going to provide for them again as water was going to flow from the temple and bring new life to the whole area. Now, uh, by the way, one of the rabbinical writers from Jesus' day tells us this. He says, whoever has not seen the joy of the temple water drawing, that's this, what I just described to you, and if you've never seen that, you've never seen joy. In other words, this was, this was just this incredible celebration. I mean, think maybe about what's your favorite part of Christmas, right? And that's what this was like for them. This was the day they looked forward to all year, and, and they look forward finally on the last day of this festival to, the, to this parade, this water parade and, the, and everything that went along with it. It was just this joyous celebration. What they were celebrating was that they believed God had not abandoned them. They believed the rains were going to come again. They believed God was going to once again feed them by by protecting their crops. They, they celebrated that God had provided for them, that God was going to provide for them in their future. This was all about trusting in God to provide for all that they needed. So there, that solves it all for you, right? Not quite yet. There's one little piece left that we have to take a look at. And now, now, in John, we heard this reading just a little bit ago, John chapter 7, that it's the Feast of Tabernacles. This is during the third year of Jesus' ministry, and it's, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and the feast is about half over, and Jesus shows up in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And he begins showing up every day in the temple area to teach them. And, and when we read in John, we read about some of the things that Jesus was teaching them about there in the temple area on this Feast of Tabernacles. But then we're told on the last day of the feast, now what happens on the last day of the feast? The water processional, right? Then we're told on the last day of the feast, on the most important day of the feast, it says, Jesus stands up in the temple and in a loud voice says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. And then when he has their attention, he says, if anyone believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from that person's heart, as the scripture says. Now, John doesn't tell us when exactly on that last day of the feast Jesus said those words. Maybe it was in the morning before the water festival, and Jesus wanted them to go to the water festival that day and have a new understanding about what it was talking about. Maybe it was later after the water festival, after people had all seen this and they had seen the water poured out on the steps and they had seen the great procession where it sounded like the rain was coming thundering down and maybe it was after that. Here's when I like to think it was. I like to think it was in that exact moment after the priest has poured out the water and he's just got done reading from Ezekiel and they're all standing around and they're thinking about that day it's gonna happen and they're looking at that little pathetic puddle on the steps going, Really? I like to think it's in that moment that Jesus stood up in the crowd and said, look, you guys have almost got it right, but you're, you're missing the point, Jesus said. Jesus is saying, yes, you should celebrate that God is going to provide for you. 
But he's saying God is providing for you so much more than just food to eat and water to drink. God is providing all you need for this life and the next. And Jesus is saying, and it's not happening through the temple. That's just another symbol too. He says, it's happening through me. Jesus is making the declaration that he is indeed the rock that provided for the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness, just as he was the voice that provided for Adam and Eve in the garden. And Jesus is making the claim to them, and by the way, Paul says, that's why Paul calls it to our attention, to us, that Jesus is the source of everything we have and need in our lives. Let me say that one more time, because honestly, it's hard to believe. Jesus is the source of everything we have or need in our lives. Let me go one more time back to the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, God had this to say to his people. Now remember, he's rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. He's shown them that he is going to provide for them in the wilderness the food that comes from heaven, the manna, the water that comes from the rock. And he's telling them about this time when they are going to go to the promised land. And look at what he says. He says, when you get to the promised land, when you eat all you want and build nice houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, when you have more of everything, then your heart will become proud. You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt where you were slaves. Does that sound familiar? Folks, if that does not describe our society here today in America, I don't know what does. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we get sucked into that too as believers, don't we? We look at all that we have. We look at our beautiful homes we live in. We, we look at the great cars we drive. We, we, we look at the fact that, that really all we need to do to eat is stop by the local McDonald's and uh, speak to the little speaker, and boom, the food miraculously appears at the end. You can even use your phone to pay for it, which doesn't even really feel like you're paying for it at all, does it? We have so much in this country, and we have forgotten. We've forgotten the Lord our God who provides everything that we have. He went on to say this to them. He said, he gave you water from a solid rock and manna to eat in the desert. He did this to take away your pride and to test you so things would go well for you in the end. Now you might say to yourself, I am rich because of my own power and strength. But remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the power to become rich. Folks, as we get ready to celebrate Christmas together today, it's, it's so important that we take a minute to remember where our wealth comes from, where the blessings we have in our life come from. They come from God. They come from Jesus. I want to look at those words that Jesus spoke one last time with you. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That's an incredible promise for us. I mean, maybe this isn't going to be a great Christmas for you because you feel like maybe God hasn't provided for you the way you would like. Or, or maybe you're struggling because it's not material things, but it's something else that's missing from your life this year at Christmas. Jesus says, come to me. I've got all you need. 
But then notice what he also says. He says, when we do that, when we come to him, we can then become that source of hope for others too. So what's your Christmas going to be like this year? Like that? That, that was actually, by the way, um, a, a kid was complaining to his mom that, that uh, he didn't get enough for Christmas the previous year. Honestly. This was in the news. So that was her reaction. Yeah. That wasn't the solution, I don't think, right? It can become so easy for us in the midst of all that we have at the holiday season to forget the source of hope and joy and peace and love and forgiveness and grace and even of all of our material gifts as well. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. This year, in the midst of it all, remember who the source is, that it's Jesus. Keep Jesus in the center of your celebration this Christmas. And then here's the second challenge. When you gather together with family and friends, as you will inevitably do around the holidays, can you be then that source of hope and joy for them? Jesus promises to be that living water that flows to you, but then he also promises because of that from your heart can flow that same living water for others. Folks, that's my prayer for all of us this Christmas season, that we would remember that Jesus is the source of everything in our lives and that we would not only learn to trust in him for that, but that we would be willing to let him use us to be that source of joy and hope and peace and grace for all those we encounter. Amen.